I tried to capture your attention yesterday um, with the uh, email, uh, How to Look Good Naked. Who is willing to admit you watched that show when it ran a number of years ago? Nobody is going to confess, no, no, I would never, Pastor George, I would never. It's all right if you did, actually. The, the, the title of the show was clearly meant to capture our attention. But what the show actually dealt with was it was uh, helping people who had uh, many of them eating disorders or other body image issues. Uh, men and women, actually some that had uh, maybe some disfiguring accidents, I'm told as I read the biography, the kind of the, the synopsis of the series and when it ran. And therapists and doctors and people would help them to come to accept, to embrace, uh, to just love the body that God gave them. And there's actually something deeply Christian and beautiful about loving the bodies that God gave us, how we are created. And of course, we know that God has honored the body through the incarnation of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. God has honored the body by becoming flesh and blood like us. And more so, uh, Christ has honored the body by rising from the dead and ascending to heaven in his body and promising to return in bodily form. And so we as Christians, we as a body of faith, we celebrate these bodies that God gave us. But I'm getting ahead of myself because where we're actually aiming for today and how this fits into our uncluttered series is we know that um, we want to be uncluttered by sin and guilt and shame. We want to be uncluttered by anxiety and fear and worry. And we need to unclutter our bodies, our minds, ourselves from some of these things that hinder us and hold us back. I don't always like listening to my sermon, so full confession there, but when I listened to the message last week on confession, always trying to listen with a critical ear, hopefully trying to get better, um, I actually liked what I was hearing. I, my own soul needed to hear a word on confession and coming clean before God and being forgiven, being given the assurance that we are washed clean uh, in Christ. But as I listened to it, it got me thinking, you know, there was actually a time when we didn't need to confess anything. There was a time when there was no sin to confess. There was no shame. There was no guilt. There was no fear. There was no anxiety. There was no worry. And that time, of course, was uh, how we were made to be, a time whenever we were naked and unafraid before God, right? So we are going to turn to our scripture reading here this morning. It's a passage from Genesis uh, chapter 2, and it's going to tell us a little bit about this time and why this, again, is important in the Uncluttered series, is this is going to bring us back to really what we were created for, the world we created for us and the, the world that was created for us and the world that we were created for. How God had created the perfect ecosystem, the perfect environment for us to be in a relationship with God, for us to be in a relationship with one another, for us to be in a relationship with the creation itself, for us to be in the right relationship, the right kind of compassion, caring, understanding of our very selves. And so that's what we want to sort of clear the clutter away and go back to that reset button, so to speak, of how was life intended to be lived without anything that would clutter or hinder or hold us back. And this is part of that story is found in Genesis chapter 2. We're going to read here through it right now. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds 
in the sky, he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man, so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, then closed it up. They closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. This is the word of our Lord. Well, friends, that's the story. You and I were made to be naked. Can I get a witness? Can I get a hallelujah? Can I get, you, you all, you're just not playing nice here today. I, I mean, you're allowed to just get into that. I mean, that is, that's the story. That's the plan. That was the dream. That was the vision that we would be naked and unashamed. Now, of course, we know that's beyond just the exterior. There is something deeply interior, something deeply spiritual about that as well. It was literal, it seems, but it was also metaphorical that we would be naked and unashamed, that we would be naked and without the clutter of sin, that we would be naked and in that nakedness, there would be no reason for shame. There would be no reason for guilt. There would be no reason for Fear. There would be no reason for judgment or self-critique because we just simply didn't have the eyes to see ourselves and one another that way. We are completely safe. We are completely secure. We were living in a context without judgment. We are living in a context where we were guarded and where we were protected. This is the environment that we were created to live in, in the context of our relationship with God and ourselves and one another and the creation itself. And it is as if that uh, memory is still etched on the hearts and the minds, on the souls of all men and women. There's something in us that knows there's something that has gone wrong with the world that this isn't entirely the way it's supposed to be, that when we look upon ourselves in the mirror, that we will experience shame or guilt, that when we look at another person, we might objectify them, that we would not feel safe and secure in such a vulnerable state. And there's, again, something in us, this echo calling us back to saying, that's not the way it was meant to be, and what does it look like? How can we be moving in the direction of restoring and renewing all things to the creation that God had intended for us. Because we know, of course, that it didn't stay that way. As the, as the story goes on, the man and the woman, they're deceived. And really what we know is they're willing to be deceived. They embrace the deceit. They stepped into sin. And what we learn from that, and this is significant for the kind of naked and unashamed, the um, how to look good naked component of uncluttering our lives, as we know that, well, they tried to hide their nakedness, and they also tried to hide from God. And that has been the context of our existence as humanity ever since. We've been living in the broader context of a life where we are trying to hide ourselves, guard ourselves, cover ourselves, put a wall up before ourselves, and we're also, more significantly in this context, we're hiding from God. 
for hiding. It says the man and the woman, they saw their nakedness and they tried to cover themselves up. When they heard the voice of God, they ran and they hid. It was too much. It was too much for them to bear. It was too much to look upon the vulnerability of themselves. It was too much to look upon the vulnerability of another. It was too much in that state to hear the voice of God than to recognize the wrong that had entered into the creation, knowing that they were undone by the very presence and the call of God. So we have been spending our lives trying to cover up our nakedness. But the problem, of course, that the creation story calls us back to is the problem isn't so much in the sense of the, it's the nakedness, it's how we, again, see our nakedness. It's how we see the nakedness of another. That's the implications, the ramifications of sin that has entered into our lives and to our world. Have you ever really taken a look at yourself in the mirror? I uh, recently was staying at a, um, at a hotel back in the fall when I was at a conference, and it was one of these fancy hotels, and I got in the bathroom, and it had this kind of this, this mirror thing on the side there, and I was like, kind of, what's this all about? And you kind of move, and some of you probably already know what this is, but I had not experienced one of these before, but you, moved, you could move this mirror in front of you, and then you hit this button, and this light turned on, and then it made you like 10 times bigger than you actually were. And I was horrified. I was like, oh my goodness, my pores are like craters. Uh, the, these bags under my eyes are, are uh, monstrosities. I had wrinkles I didn't know existed. I, I, I mean, gray hairs all over the place. Why am I trying to grow a beard again? I look awful. Uh, it was just, ma I just, the mirror is, have you ever taken a look in the, in, in, on the conversely, I will say this. I um, I'm also go to my, when I want to work out, I go to my local rec center. The great thing about, by the way, going to the local rec center is that at 50 years old, I'm one of the youngest guys that ever shows up in this gym. I, I, I literally have buddies there that call me the kid when I walk in. Hey, kid, how you doing? I'm like, I'm doing great. I mean, it's, I feel great about myself whenever I go to my local rec center gym. But over the break, I went to the gym with my son. He goes to one of these fancy gyms that you pay money to go to. So, um, so we went to his gym, and um, oh, and there, there are mirrors everywhere. I mean, mirrors all over the place. And at first, I was actually a little kind of taken aback because in this context, people are looking in the mirrors and they are loving what they see. I mean, I mean, there are guys straight up doing whole flexing poses and, and I mean, and, and they're doing, they're just, I mean, and it was this culture of, oh, look in the mirror, embrace, you know, what, what you have created, what you have crafted in your pumping iron. At first I was like, whoa, and I was like, well, you know, more power to them, you know, they're working out hard. I guess they should feel good about their bodies. But we have this kind of, we had this kind of love-hate relationship with our bodies, right? We have this love-hate relationship with the mirror. There can be a time when we can look in the mirror and can be like, you know, that's right. Wow, looking good. You know, you're, you've, you know, again, on the surface, you might say, that's a nice-looking outfit. You look good in that. The hair looks good today. On a deeper level, you might look in the mirror and say, you know what? You've been... You've been doing well with your relationships. You've been doing well in your walk with God. You've been doing well at work. Uh, and then we know that other times we look in the mirror and again, maybe externally again, we might say, oh, not looking so good, but more internally, we might say, I don't, I don't like what's being reflected back in the mirror, what I'm seeing in myself these days. Well, of course, 
what we're willing to embrace is a renewed, a transformed, a redeemed view of ourselves as God sees us, as God created us, as God calls us, as God is working to refine and sanctify us into the men and to the women that we are meant to be. And that, of course, is going to require some uncluttering. Now, we'll just say this, and then we'll move on to some deeper things. We know that first and foremost, that very often, we'd say it it would begin with the uncluttering of sin and guilt and shame through the forgiveness that comes through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We pray that all of us would know that, embrace that, and be living into that. But in the context then of our redeemed, our standing in the righteousness of Christ, we want us to just embrace a few things about being the image bearers of God by taking note simply that when we look in the mirror, uncluttered by whatever else we might label ourselves, how does God see us, know us, call us as his image bearers? Of course, we know in the creation story that this is the defining characteristic. This is the defining mark that we uniquely bear the image of God. So let's just break that down for a little bit this morning, uh, that we are uniquely created. We are uniquely called to a role that nobody else, that nothing else is called to. And then in that, we can enjoy a unique relationship with God. This will all be uh, posted online. I'm going to share a lot of these notes uh, throughout the week. Uh, but let's break down. We, of course, the, four, the beginning of it is that we are uniquely created. Now, the first thing that we would state about being uniquely created is, of course, we are, in fact, created. There is, again, going back to that uh, gym image, there's kind of this folly, this humor in being a bodybuilder. Nobody actually built their body. You did not create your body. You did not crack. You can exercise it. You can hone it. You can train it. You can work with it. But you didn't build your body, right? You were given a body. You are a created being. But here's the thing about being a created being. We are created beings in a created world, in a created cosmos, in a created environment. All of that other stuff, though, of course, it reflects the creativity of God. The birds of the sky, the fish of the sea, the, the, lands of the, uh, uh, the animals of the land, it reflects the creativity of God. The, the solar system that we see uh, it reflects the creativity of of God, the, the biodiversity that Adam was invited to name reflects the creativity of God. All that is a wonderful reflection of the creativity of God. But then uniquely what we see in the creation story is we reflect the very image of God. Now, of course, theologians and pastors have preached on this and pondered this and written this, but we and, and, and it is something we explore, but it is something that again it's more of a truth to be embraced and lived into rather than a definition that we ever fully understand. God, in the stories of the scripture, show us that God has emotion. And something about that image of God is reflected in us being emotional creatures. We see the intellect and the thoughts in the mind of God. There's something reflected about the image in our minds and in our intellect. There's something reflected in our own exercise of art and creativity and music and all of these other celebrations. There's something reflected in even the very bodies now that we hold because Christ became embodied. So God who was spirit who became embodied, something in our flesh now even reflects who God has revealed himself to be. And so we understand, we embrace that we become these unique image bearers of God. Now, what this, of course, means for us, one of the many implications of this, and this being the, the main point here for us to understand, 
is that every person that you've ever met has the reflection of the image of God coming back at you. And we just don't pause long enough to understand that, to embrace that, to experience that, to celebrate that. That every man, woman, and child, young and old, and everything in between, every Asian, every African, every European, every Hispanic, every person that you've ever met has the potential to reflect something of the image and the glory of God back to you. And we need to honor that. We need to celebrate that. We need to cherish that. We need to dignify that. Now, understand this. Part of this, this is, and this is so wonderfully and powerfully unique to the story of our God and our faith is that we, of course, say that we are not just a part of the creation. We're not just simply bits and matter and molecules and atoms all strung together haphazardly, randomly. No, we're not just creatures, but neither are we gods and becoming gods. We are the image bearers of God. And this uniquely positions us to worship our God and our God alone, but to celebrate in the image bearers of God something wonderful and deep and profound and dignified again. This is why historically, of course, Christians have wanted to say that from conception in the womb, we honor and dignify the image of God being reflected and growing in that life, in that child. On the other end, of course, we understand that this is why we dignify people in their dying moments, in their final days, providing them comfort and peace and care and honoring the life that God has given to them and honoring the life that is to come in the resurrection of the body in Christ's return. And in between, we dignify and honor the image of God in every man and every woman. I invite you, I encourage you to participate in these ministries that help people that are homeless and that are hungry and that are unclothed. There is something deeply profound in honoring the image of them whenever we give somebody a new coat, whenever we share with them a meal, whenever we seek to care for them in their ailments and in their hurt and in their pain, when we seek to provide counsel to help them through their addictions or the mental anguish that they're going through. These are all things that honor and dignify the image of God in men and women and one another. And that's something that we uniquely celebrate and have to hold on to in our Christian faith. And I think the implication that I, or the, the application maybe we want to see to, to live into this week is before anything else, before any other label, before any other title, before any other, uh, the definition you might give to another man or woman that you encounter in this coming week, remember that you have the potential to see reflected in them the very image, the very glory. Before you just, dis we're going to get a little personal here for just a minute, then we'll have a little bit more fun. You, you, before you just dismiss somebody as, oh, they're just one of those, you know, uh, d uh, just, just died in the wool, toe in the line Republicans. I know what they believe about every single issue and matter. Remember that they reflect the image of God. Before you just want to label somebody, oh, they're just toe in the line, uh, that, that Democrat, those liberals or whatever. They reflect. 
reflect the image of God. Before you look at that person panhandling on the street, what a lousy bum, what a loser. Well, they make something of themselves. Recognize that that person too has the image of God. What if we just made it a practice in the coming week and maybe the rest of our lives, if we just remembered to always look upon men and women, one another, our family, our friends, our kids, our spouses, our neighbors, our coworkers, and to just check a little box, give ourselves that little reminder. This person too bears the image of God. This person too is somebody that Christ died for. This is somebody who Christ rose for. This is somebody who Christ is offering salvation for through his death, burial, and resurrection. What if we just dignified the image of God in everybody before anything else? That's part of the implication of being made in the image of God, uniquely made as image bears. Second thing, because we are made in the image of God, the creation story also says we have a very unique role to fulfill. Now, I could also insert, go back to the fall. We did a series called God is Green, and for two weeks of that series, we went deep into the role of stewardship. But let's just remind ourselves that we are called to be the stewards of the creation of God, meaning God made it, God owns it, but God has entrusted us with the care for it, and it falls on us, it behooves us, it lands on our shoulders to be the caretakers of creation so that when Christ returns and renews the heavens and the earth, we may, with our own dignity, with our own honor, I, dare I say even with our own pride in the positive context of that word, say, here you are, my king. We stewarded, we cared for, we developed, we used these gifts of this creation that you have entrusted to us. So let us embrace our role as Steward, as stewards and stewarding all of creation. But let's take another little bit deeper too and say what does one of the deeper implications of stewardship mean for us as the image bearers of God? Let me just address this and of the many other things of course that we could address regarding the role of stewardship. One of the things that has been on my heart in particular lately is um, we'll just say being frustrated at the dualism that we see so often in the church and in spiritual circles, the dualism of the sacred and secular split. Let me just say, I love my call as being a pastor. We celebrate the call of being a missionary and taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. But this isn't the only thing, these aren't the only things that are spiritual endeavors that God honors and is a part of our role as stewards. No, in that stewardship context and call, of course, we see that Adam's first job was that he was just going to uh, label, he's going to define, he was going to give names to the biodiversity of God's creation. And so that was a very spiritual endeavor. But let's just all embrace the fact that we can be a steward of God's creation called to be in education and to teach just as Christ taught us to teach all that he commanded. And we can teach the joys and the wonders of all of creation. We can be a steward and we can go into healthcare. Our God is the great physician. Jesus brought healing to many. We can be a steward and work in healthcare. God has a whole book in the Bible called Numbers. We can even be an accountant and be stewarding God's gifts and doing his work and honoring him. So let's just say the depth 
and of our call as stewardships in God's creation is such that we don't have to live in this little box that spiritual endeavors simply have to have the stamp of the church on them. And I'm not saying that to undermine the work of the church. I'm not trying to shoot myself in the foot or hold back the work of our church moving the gospel forward. I'm just saying you are all a part of it. You are the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. You are being ambassadors of the gospel. You are being stewards of God whenever you're going into your homes, your places of work, your schools, your hospitals, your offices, and you are bearing the light of Christ and doing work that honors and dignifies image bearers and God. Makes sense? Okay, yeah, there's a lot we could say about that, but again, I preached a whole series on it, so go back to the God is Green series. So we have this, you, we're uniquely created as image bearers. We have this unique role as stewards for which we give account to God. And then the final thing we'll say about this is that we are then invited to live into a unique relationship with God. Two weeks ago, we celebrated Epiphany the revealing of Christ as the Son of God. And in that baptism story that we talked about uh, two weeks ago, we saw the beautiful image of our triune God of grace and love, Jesus Christ, the Son, stepping into the waters of the Jordan, the voice of the Father, this is my Son whom I love. And then the, the, the seeing the Spirit in this form like a dove coming and resting upon Jesus. And what this again affirms for us is kind of the, uh, the glory of God, the greatness of God is, is so beyond our full comprehension that we have to simply embrace that our God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one, one reflected in this three, and this is what we embrace. But a part of that revelation of God is, of course, the very relational nature of God, that God was this being in communion with God's self. But now the beauty for us as image bears is we are invited to step into that being of relationship. We know this because Jesus Christ is literally inviting us to become a part of the very body of Christ, right? This is how Christ continues his embodied work through our bodies, the bodies of his followers, the bodies of the church that continue the ministry of the gospel into and throughout the world. And so we are invited into this relationship with God. And it is ultimately the relationship that we are made for, that we long for, that we have to have restored in us. There's a book that I've been working through, but it's a bit of a tough slog for me. A guy named James Smith, he's a professor at, at Calvin, and he, he wrote this clever book called uh, on, on the Road with St. Augustine. And uh, St. Augustine has a, has a powerful quote that is often be said, but I, I'm going to read the whole quote in context for you this morning about the relationship that we long for through Jesus Christ with God to be restored. He writes this, great are you God and greatly to be praised. Great is your power and of your wisdom there is no end. And man being a part of your creation desires to praise you. You move us to delight in praising you. You have formed us for yourself. And here's the one that you probably heard. And our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. If a look in the mirror for a lot of us reveals, in the sense we might say, a 
a restlessness, an uneasiness. Um, no matter what we've tried to put into our lives, if there's that sense that it all just becomes clutter, even the good things that we endeavor to do, the possessions that we take hold of, the achievements that we uh, try to reach, uh, there are other relationships that we ultimately try to build. In many senses, in the context of our seers, we might say it can all just become clutter if it is not all pulling us closer to God and the relationship that we were made for. And all of that clutter can remount into, as Augustine would say, a restlessness. Maybe just frantically trying to find more and more and more to fill that void until we stop and say, my heart will be restless until it finds its rest in you, until it finds the relationship that I was created for. I invite the team to come up and they're going to get ready to take us out with a little bit more worship and then we're going to get ready to enjoy a celebration. But I want to give you um, some takeaway here this morning. And again, we'll post all of this online and you can follow that on the website and on our social media and we'll get some of it out in email in the coming days. But this past week, I invited you to entertain at the start of our Uncluttered series, the discipline of daily confession. And if you're here last week, you know that I invited you actually to follow um, uh, uh, St. Ignatius's recommendations of a noon and nighttime every day, hitting the pause. I invite you to set that chime probably on your phone so that you'd be interrupted at the most inopportune of moments and just pause and to confess what needs to be confessed to God. Now, of course, let me say this. The idea of confession isn't, of course, to heap more guilt and more shame and more sin on our lives, the goal, the end goal of confession is always to be freed from that, right? So if that didn't become abundantly clear, um, let's keep moving forward with confession because we confess these things, we admit these things, we say these things so that we could be freed from them so that we can move forward in faith and life with joy and delight and excitement and enthusiasm. If that has not been your experience, Maybe we talk to me, pray with me. Let's talk about that. Because again, ultimately confession is freeing and liberating and exciting and joyful for the Christian because we have the forgiveness of our sins. Understood? Okay, but let's take it a, a, a step deeper. Here's what I'm gonna invite you to do. I'm gonna invite you to add on to your confession of sin now. Twice a day, I would invite you to stop and pause and first say the Lord's Prayer. Say the Lord's Prayer as we said it together today in the context of the body of Christ. Stop and say the Lord's Prayer. I've said this before. I often have to go through it three times before it really sticks for me. That's just, that's, that's, that's my confession. That's it. I kind of got to say it. Oh yeah, I still know it. I can repeat it. I've said it every day of my life for years now. And then you kind of say it again and you're thinking about it. And then I say it a third time and I'm really meditating upon it. So I invite you to say that. The second thing I'm going to invite you to say is actually two confessions that we affirm here at Connections. The first is a confession from the Heidelberg Catechism. Um, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm going to send this all out to you. You'll have a script for it. I invite you to affirm the words of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which says, what is the chief end? What is the chief purpose? of men and women. It is to glorify God and to enjoy God forever. And then here's a little mantra that I've said for years and years and years now. I actually learned it all the way back in college and it's still been a part of some of my prayers and affirmations, but I think it fits particularly well in the context now of this uncluttering of our lives. 
getting into the relationship with God that we are meant to live. And so I'm going to invite you to simply pause and say to yourself, I am a part of the body of Christ. Christ loves me. Christ died for me. Christ rose for me. And Christ is coming again for me. Every one of those is a powerful implication and a powerful truth revealed for us. But then to give yourself this reminder, and without me, Christ's body is broken. Without me, without George Saylor, something about Christ's body is broken. Without Robin, something about Christ's body is broken. Without Brian, without Victor, uh, without Rachel, without, I just, I could go through the whole room. You bring something to the body of Christ. And without you, there is a sense of brokenness in the body of Christ. Something about the image of God is not being fully reflected. Now, will God's will be done? Of course, of course. We affirm that God's will will always find a way. God's will is going to be done. We don't have to go to bed afraid. But we go to bed every night with the wonder of assurance and the promise that God is using us as a part of his body, as a part of his work, as a part of doing his will. And the image of God is reflected in the body of Christ is somehow lacking. It's somehow missing. It's somehow not the way it's supposed to be when you're not a part of it, when you're not reflecting a part of your image in the body of Christ. Does that make sense? Do you get it? It's kind of deep. It's kind of like, I want you to spend the week thinking about it. I want you to spend the week living with that, that the image of God is so powerful in you something missing there's something broken in the kind of the body of christ when you're not reflecting it in our worship when you're not reflecting it in our group's ministry when you're not reflecting it in serving in the church when you're not reflecting it at the place where you are called to work when you're not reflecting it in you you get it let's pray let's worship god all right friends thank you so much god that you made us that you called us and that something about us reflects your very glory and your very image. And so, without pride, without arrogance, but in humility, we say, may your image be powerfully reflected in each and every one of our lives and through the life that we share together as a church. For we are your body, and as your body, we want to reflect well your image, your righteousness, your glory, your love your kindness, your compassion, your, your mercy, your gentleness to our world. Lord, let us just spend this week and, and of course the rest of our lives, but let us just deeply, deeply embrace and receive the gift of your image being reflected through our lives. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus.